0: Calling on women who are curious and called to be women warriors, arising in this day of age to heal and grow together. I am your host, Jennifer Malcolm, self made entrepreneur, women advocate, and life balance expert. Welcome back to the next episode of the Genesis Speaks podcast The Transformative Power of Women's Stories, where every woman has a story and every story matters. That means you. I'm your host, Jennifer Malcolm, founder and president of Genesis Speaks. And with me today is Elizabeth Hannah, and we're going to call her Liz. She is someone I met about a year ago through her sister, Jessica, and I'm honored to have her here. She is a powerhouse and ready to rock and roll today. I'm going to read a short bio and we're just going to jump right into your story, Liz. Liz is obtaining her master's degree in Middle Eastern Studies at the American University of Beirut, Lebanon. This goal took her four years, several disappointments, and overcoming a range of objections to achieve. She intends to remain in the Middle East at least part-time in order to launch her new venture, a line of cosmetics for Lebanese women to help them accept their natural beauty rather than rely on extensive plastic surgery. So welcome, Liz.
1: Thank you so much, Jen. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm really honored. You've had some fantastic women on the show.
0: Thank you. It's been fun, and as we've entered into season two and the new year here, it's just been fun just to see the gifts of closing out the season one, the support, women wanting to really open up and share from just multiple stages and places of life, whether it's overcoming dramatic, traumatic experiences or just self-image issues and just dealing with all the mental and physical things that women deal with. And so I think the dialogue with you today about the work that you're doing and your heart for the women in Lebanon is going to be huge. So welcome. Thank you. So let's start, just tell us a little bit about your background, where, you know, how you grew up, where you grew up, your culture, and then that led into your studies and kind of the why of, you know, your work today
1: yeah so i'm from cleveland and i went to case western for my undergrad so that was not my first choice i wanted to get as far away from cleveland as i could for college but it just didn't happen (laughs) and um, it was a fantastic four years really but i grew up in um like a total totally american household but we have this lebanese heritage on my dad's side that i was always fascinated by and we weren't really exposed to the culture that much. And so ever since I was really little, I was just wanted to know more about Lebanon, about my Lebanese heritage, about learning Arabic. And I was always fascinated by it. And then once I got to college, once I went to case, I started classes for my like international relations degree. And I fell in love with studying the region, like politics and religion and everything. So um, that's how I got into it. And then now I'm in Beirut doing my master's in Middle Eastern studies. And it's been an incredible semester. I mean, it's been online. The first semester was online and it was kind of difficult, but just being over there was like really my like almost kind of lifelong dream come true um, that I've been working so hard for to get there over the last few
0: years. So, okay. So to frame that you are actually physically in Beirut, but having to do online because of COVID. Yes. Yes. So my, my family's like,
1: why are you going over there? You don't have to, <laughs> But you know, this has been my dream. Uh, and so I want to go there and practice Arabic. I don't want to just take classes and then not practice it in my daily life. So I'm still there. Yeah. And, um, and it's been great. I mean, with COVID, we had some lockdowns. And of course, I can't get out nearly as much as I would have last year. But hopefully, this spring,
0: it'll, it'll start to turn around. But we'll see. And It sounds like that experience of immersing yourself in the culture, the food, the language, just that piece that it goes beyond just book knowledge, and what you're, what you're learning, and just really jumping into it is the goal. Absolutely. And what's interesting is, I think a lot
1: of the diaspora, like Lebanese diaspora and any diaspora community tend to really romanticize their history. And so I totally fell into that category where I thought, once I move to Lebanon, life is going to be great. It's going to be romantic. It's going to be easy. It's going to be this beautiful, exotic adventure. And it's just life, you know, (laughs) it's it's life in a different way. And it's incredible. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's cool to actually see the realities of it. And it's not always the easiest. I mean, we have power cuts every day over there. And I'm one of the lucky ones where I have a generator in my apartment. So it's not too much of an issue. But other people don't have power for at least three hours a day. And, um, you know, my washing machine barely works, and that's annoying. <laughs> and so there's these things that, that make life, you know, just regular life over there. And it's not this romantic thing. So that's also been really cool to learn.
0: That has to be like a, that eye-opening experience because when you hear of Italy or you hear of France or you hear of Greece or you hear of you know the Middle East culture Middle Eastern cultures and you're like you do romanticize it and and you don't think of just day-to-day life of I have to go to the grocery store and do my laundry and cook and clean and all of that as well. Yeah, exactly. So, did you do you have family there that you've been able to be able in contact with, or is it pretty blind? Just I'm taking the leap of faith and going over and kind of creating your own experience. I pretty much took the leap of faith. We don't have
1: like blood relatives over there. No, I mean, I'm sure we do somewhere and we just aren't in contact with them. Um, We, I have some friends over there and some family friends that introduced me and said, you know, like, go stay with them. So I've made friends quickly with like, it feels like family friends, you know, not like other college students. (laughs) Right. But um, So I feel comfortable there and I have a support system there, but um, it's, yeah, it's not like I'm living with my aunts and uncles, you know? Or grandma, right? You're
0: just nestling in there and having the comfort of family taking care of you as well. (laughs) So to reiterate, when you were growing up here in Cleveland, there was no Arabic spoken in your house. There is no like creative cultural experiences of Lebanese. Did you guys celebrate holidays, food, et cetera, like that? Or... Yeah, I say like my siblings and I knew
1: like Arabic foods and that was about it. Yeah. I know your sis- sister Jessica
0: loves her Lebanese
1: food. So Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's good. So the lifelong journey of this desire to go to the Middle East and experience it. Did you find support, you know, here in Cleveland for people to be like, "Yeah, I understand that family," or was it like this is really left field? It can be dangerous in the Middle East or there's some, you know, stress there. And and, and I'm asking because I've gone to Israel twice. I'm not Jewish, but I did that. I have the opportunity to go twice over the last 20 years and immediately fell in love with the culture, the people, the food, the sounds. And, and it was wonderful. And there were bombs and things going off every day. And I never felt unsafe either. Like you have to be wise, but it's just the same as like going downtown and avoiding certain parts of Cleveland and and being just wise. But what was the support back here at home? Of hey, I have this dream in my heart, and you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to you know go be an attorney or, or a ballerina, and I'm going to go to New York. But you're going on the other side of the world to the Middle East. How was that framed here for you? Totally mixed reactions. I'd say the people who
1: are closest to me and love me and know me have been so supportive and kind of got it from the beginning like even if they don't understand why I want to go there they like they are really supportive and they know that that's just been it for me um and then I've got, and I'd say the, the majority of people I tell of like when I was an undergrad like what my future plans were um were just confused and like how did you get interested in the Middle East how did you get interested in that why like do you yeah do you feel safe like really so there were a lot of questions like that um I've had a couple like really negative reactions and just strange like some people saying really really negative hurtful things and not a lot just a couple but um it's just bizarre (laughs) like why I don't know why people are so concerned about someone and what they're doing you know if it's not I don't know, why they don't worry about themselves, but <laughs> overall, it's been, it's been a mix of good and
0: confused reaction. So how did you handle that negative? You know, like, you know, it's those things that we've said on this podcast over and over again of, you know, sticks and stones may break your, break your bones, but words will never hurt. But words hurt more than the bruises that, you know, happen to our body. And when you have naysayers or doubters or worry warts or any of that, that goes against a lifelong dream, like yeah. how were you able to face that? Or d- how did you navigate your way through that? I think in
1: the beginning, I felt myself trying to always explain myself and justify my interest in the region. And um, yeah, I think I was always trying to justify myself, always. and then like once i would like tell my sisters or my best friends or my boyfriend like oh this person said this horrible thing to me they reminded me something that i always tell my friends and i advise like my closest people is to filter like filter the unsolicited advice you get because i mean i I think every person who's a hard worker is going to get a million pieces of advice that they didn't ask for from people who really don't matter to them (laughs) and so I always advise my friends like if if you really don't value them or value their opinion why do you waste one like extra thought on it and so i had i needed my friends and family to remind me of that um when people have said really hurtful negative things because i'll take i'll take my family and my friends um perspectives into like deep consideration But some random person that I don't even know, like, why am I, why do why would I possibly care what they have to say about my work? You know,
0: so powerful. No, and that's powerful. And I, and I want to reiterate that because I'm sure as women, as you're listening to this, there's some piece or you can, you can picture someone in your mind, you have a story, you have an incident where someone came against you negative and it's really brought you down or you brought, it brought, you know, like doubt to a dream. And I love what Liz is saying is like filter it through what matters and if you can just create a muscle that says you know what thank you but I'm dismissing that because that that voice doesn't matter uh that's powerful and that's a powerful muscle to cultivate and to to relearn and it sounds like you were a vocal piece to those around you but to to remind yourself
1: it's always hard it's always harder for yourself yeah and it's it's easier said than done but yeah I definitely try to I try to live by that, to focus on the opinions of those I love and those I care about and those who love me and forget all the rest of it, you know.
0: That's good. And I think as women, we try to to navigate other people's perspectives and have human compassion. And I feel like I have a lot of wisdom in a lot of areas Toward others, but then I'm very short, short short-minded, and narrow toward myself. And to be able to give that gift of compassion and perspective back to ourselves is is vital.
1: Absolutely,
0: awesome. So, did you have any obstacles, uh, just logistical, U.S. to the Middle East that you had to navigate through as well? And especially during last year, 2020, through COVID epidemic and pandemic, like walk us through, like either. Normal what logistics might be as an American woman wanting to study abroad in the Middle East and then put another layer of Global pandemic as well.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah I swear like the universe or God was telling me don't go because I had like every time I thought I had it under control something new went wrong, and I couldn't go and um, So I started really wanting to go to this university aub my freshman year of undergrad Um, and so I thought like I'll I'll study abroad I'll take one semester there that's perfect you know just to get a little taste of my heritage and this will be great and the university um, didn't have a program over there so I went through this hassle of petitioning to go over there um, to a school that they didn't have an affiliation with and they said no and I was devastated because I was like really like Is it, it's just all about money for you guys like I was so angry <laughs> take, take, take my money and let me come take my money and let me go <laughs> and so when they said no I fought it and I this is I think this is where I like really developed my backbone because I wanted this so bad and these people were telling me no 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 and so me in the study abroad office at case kind of had some issues for quite a while (laughs) and so I like after I pushed this really hard and they were not budging I said okay fine I will like unenroll from case for a semester and I'll go on my own Mm -hmm. and whatever like that's fine and so I was started this process and then they told me they like they kind of realized what I was doing and they said if you do this then and you come back we will not accept your credit there so it'll just be a big waste of time and money. And I was, again, tried to fight this and it didn't work. Um, and I got a lot of people behind me. I had like families, friends. I had um, my professors behind me writing to the administration and they just wouldn't budge. So um, I finally decided like, okay, I'm exhausted. I'll go study abroad in Jordan. This is like the easy way out. And. Truly, Jordan, spending four months in Jordan was like the most incredible experience ever. I loved it. So, you know, things work out the way they're supposed to. Exactly. Um, and I would, and if, you know, if, I, if that sem- semester never happened, I would have never had that experience to experience Jordan. And I'm, So I'm really glad it, it happened the way it did. Um, so then I had my eyes set on doing a master's program in Lebanon at the same university. And I thought, you know, this, like, this will be even better, like, two years. Like, I can do two years there. This is great. Um, And so I applied, and I was supposed to find out in, like, May, May of this year, 2020. And leading up to it, like, Covid happened, and everyone was saying, you know, you can't go for at least until January. And I believed it at first. I don't know why, but I was like, oh crap, you're right. I'm going to have to postpone it. Okay. All this stuff, you know, th- everything was just uncertain. There was there was no answers for anything in life starting in March this year. yeah wow. So then I started applying to jobs, and um, there were like two that I were re- that I was really interested in. One was in Dubai, and I had the offer, and I was so close to saying yes because there was this guaranteed, amazing, perfect job for me in dubai, and in my heart, I just I could not say yes because I knew I would regret it if May came around, and I got accepted to this university. so I said no, which was hard. Yeah. Then May came around because of COVID, everything was delayed. I didn't end up finding out until late June that I was accepted. Wow. And I had no plan. I had no job offer. I had nothing lined up. I was just babysitting my new little niece, which was great. It was was gorgeous, by the way. (laughs) She's gorgeous. Yeah, she's incredible. She's the best baby ever. (laughs) She's gorgeous. So so I got accepted, and I opened up my email that morning in June, and I read that I had a full scholarship, 100% covered. Basically, like I almost just cried. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is happening. Like this is really finally happening. And so told my friends, told my family, all right, like I'm packing up, let's go. And like I don't care if there's COVID, like either I'm gonna stay at home in Cleveland or I'm gonna stay at home in Lebanon, who cares? Right. So I started preparing to go and um then the explosion happened in Beirut in August. And like my uncles and my aunts called me and said, You're not going. My parents said you're not going like we're not putting like you're not allowed to go through that and I kind of was like you know I'm putting myself through this program I have my own money I've been working since I was 16. and I'm, I love you and <laughs> I love you bye. <laughs> yeah. so then I, I ended up moving in September I took some extra time um and
0: yes yeah, so then I arrived in September and it's been Pretty awesome ever since. Amazing. Now did you immerse yourself and get a job as well, or are you just using the money that you save to just support yourself while you're there as well?
1: Yeah, so I do freelance work as a career coach. Yeah. And um so that's mostly how I support myself. I also have like a like a couple hour a week job on campus and it's really just an excuse for me to get on campus. <laughs> um, because, you know, we're not allowed to with COVID. So now I get to walk around and it's
0: beautiful. You're <laughs> like, I have permission because I'm going to work. Exactly. <laughs> so as you're as you're diving through, like, you know, all of, I mean, everything was against you last year with uh, COVID, with, it sounds like, a different job opportunity, the explosion in Beirut. There's just a lot of huge obstacles. And where what were you learning or what muscles were you growing in and of yourself that, you know, you're looking back at, you know, kind of through kind eyes, with kind eyes. It's hard when you go through the experience sometimes to see the muscles that we're building or the tenacity we're building or the resilience we're building or, you know, cutting the umbilical cord in a healthy way from our, our parents and moving on to our, you know, our next life. But what were some of the things that you were learning about yourself through this process? I love the way
1: you phrased that. Yeah. I um I think there are a lot of things that I have like I, that I'm, I'm glad I wrote down in my notes. I've been keeping track of kind of like my thoughts and feelings the last year and a half or so, and so it's fun to scroll back through and look at that and see how far I've come. Um, so I think one of the things that I've learned and really improved on is sticking to my gut. And so, um, like, thank God that I didn't take that job offer. And you know, this this like feeling of like uh, I. I I just can't do it. Like I I want something else. And sticking to my gut um that way led me to this graduate program and so and there's been a million other you know circumstances where I have stuck to my gut thankfully or I did it and I really regretted it. And so I think that that's one of the things that I've really learned the most.
0: And I think that's important because what I'm hearing you say is that maybe sticking to your gut sometimes you still make some of the wrong decisions. You might make a small like yeah, I think I'm going to go for it. And then you regret it. And you can frame that, though. And I think that some of those failures or those, hey, I didn't make the best decision there, also gives us a bigger backbone and more resolve to stay focused on the my eyes on a prize. And when I try to divert, I know I'm not on the path that I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful. Because when you're on a path and you're like, yes, 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 of course, you're going to get there. But sometimes when you make some of the slight mistakes, it gives you such deeper resolve and tenacity to be like, I am going to be unwavering in what I feel like I'm supposed to do in life.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. Like unwavering, and like that doesn't mean that I always have a hundred percent confidence or I always feel good about myself. No way. But at least like I like by facing these obstacles, getting to like this main goal of mine, I have just built such a deep deep rooted confidence where I'm my biggest advocate. And like, don't get me wrong. I have amazing support system. I have amazing family and friends. Um, But at the end of the day, I'm my biggest advocate. And um, so like, I've just really kind of learned how to not take no for an answer, Um, like always, pushing myself in to maybe like take the harder road. It seems like I'm always doing things the hard way, but, but it, you know, it tends to really reap incredible rewards. Um, And applying for that extra program or applying for that extra internship, even though you're so tired and just want to go to bed, but writing that, like writing that essay to apply is usually always worth it. And so I think um, just like not taking no for an answer and doing the extra work. And that's, that's been a huge thing for me.
0: Do you feel like that is an innate gift that you have, or were you surrounded with, because I know you have a lot of strong business people in your family around you, but was it something that, hey, I, I have this innate you know, desire and ability to stand and, and, and do the hard work, to stay up late and, and to put that essay in, or do you feel like you also saw it modeled around you that made that more of a first language and easier for you to cultivate?
1: I think I think that my role models really had a huge Impact and shaping me to be this way, um, and I know, like, I know a few people that have grown up without really those kind of role models, and somehow they, like, they, they advocate for themselves just like how I'm describing. So I don't think it, you know, everyone like needs someone to look up to to do it. I think for some people it's innate, but for me, I think I was really fortunate to have incredible role models, um, like my family, my parents, and my oldest sister, and a lot of people in my family are all in sales. And, like, they're not just in sales where, you know, they sell toothbrushes. Like, they are, like, the queens and kings of sales. <laughs> and so in my family growing up, like, to have sales skills was the most um, most attractive quality I could, like, in my mind growing up, um, that someone could have. And so I always heard day after day about... Um, like it's the end of the month time to like hit the quota time to do this and so in my mind it was always about selling your like selling your skills and your abilities and being your biggest advocate and so actually I was in college at case and I have this vivid memory of being in a class and the teacher the professor asking us what is something that's kind of like almost inherited in your family like a skill or a trait that that your family really values and some people said like musical abilities everyone in my family has a musical talent and some you know people said different things and I thought wow mine is sales like if you're not a salesperson in my family like you're kind of at the bottom of the food chain like like you have to be good at sales and I said this and to me it sounded so natural and I'm sure to other people they were like what the hell are you talking about like that's weird um that's awesome But it, it, yeah, it shaped me. So like, I don't want to sell um, like products or technology like my family does and they're amazing at it. But for me, it's about getting myself the best opportunities
0: and creating the opportunities if I don't see them. And not hearing no, like not hearing no, like you're like, okay, no, I'm going to pivot. Not now, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to keep until I can knock that door down. And that's powerful. Yeah. And I want to reiterate too, because my question at the beginning of that segue was about was it innate and you did you have family around you and it's the nature versus nurture? And you had that, you had that around you, you had the nurturing quality of family around you that you know you, you don't hear no, you're you're going for it with sales, but you also have recognized that there's other people who don't have that around them and they're as successful. And so for the listeners, I, cause I don't want anyone to be discouraged to hear like, well, I don't have that support system. And so I can't do it. Uh, what Liz is saying is the exact opposite. You can do it both ways mm-hmm. and want to be very, very cognizant. Like don't feel well I'm without hope. Cause I don't have that type of family support because there is that opportunity to create that for your, for yourself as well.
1: Oh yeah. I've seen it. It's just some tremendous examples of women and men who have who have built this kind of skill for themselves without the support system and without the inspiration and it blows my mind. It's just the most impressive thing. It's absolutely doable. Awesome.
0: So tell me about the culture and the women specifically because I know that you're light, like what your next steps are with working in and being a, in Lebanon is specifically with the women and that's why uh, your story was attractive to to me but like, just talk to about just the women in general. What are they like? You know, people, have, we we all have our uh, stigmas or our, our our identities of what certain cultures are like, whether they're warm, whether they're cold, whether they're hospitable, whether they cook, whether they laugh. And so we learn that through textbook and education, but we also learn, you know, what we know through TV and storytelling, but you're immersed in the culture. So describe the women that you are surrounded with. So I guess I would say, it's just like Cleveland
1: or any other city in the U S where you have all sorts of types of women. It's all kinds. There's, there's really no one way to describe it. Cause there's so many, there's introverts, extroverts, super athletic women. There's not, you know, there's every, all spectrums. There's every, you know, end of the spectrum there, which is what I like. Um, it's not this bland culture where every woman is the same or, or like how a lot of people in America think that they're forced to be the same. Um, it's not like that at all. So yeah, there's every personality
0: and every interest there um, imaginable, really. Which is powerful because we, we, again, we are so, because of a limited experience, and, and I've done some global traveling, but again, you go in through an experience with a a preconceived notion of how things are going to be what the food the culture whether you know whether you feel safe or unsafe and then when you immerse yourself I feel like that they're just humans and they're just women being women and you're going to have women of all types and Mm -hmm. instead of being so narrow-minded and just being really open to we're just women trying to navigate this planet
1: Absolutely. One, yeah. One uh, preconceived notion I had was that all Lebanese women love makeup and and care about their parents a lot. (laughs) Cause this is what I've heard. (laughs) And so I went over there like nervous, like, you know, and I love makeup. Like this is what (laughs) I want to dedicate my life to trust me. But I was nervous, like, crap, I'm not going to be able to go out in the street without a full face of makeup on. Like I was nervous about this and I got there and it's, just like home. There's women who love makeup. There's women who never ever wear makeup. There's some women in between, you know? And so I kind of like laugh at myself, like, oh my gosh, I fell into this trap that other people do that I like kind of scoff at. But you know, yeah, it's when when something's foreign
0: to you, you make all these assumptions. So you said you opened that door. Let's get into what the ultimate work that you're hoping to do and how you're laying a foundation with being in the culture and the education, proximity is helping you, you know, guide that path there.
1: Yes. So ultimately I want to create a cosmetics company or a beauty company um, that encourages women in the Middle East. And really I don't want to just have my focus be in the Middle East. I want it to have I want it to be in the Middle East, the Mediterranean and like West and South Asia, so this this kind of large conglomerate of regions um, where women often are told what beauty looks like, and that it's like a Western woman with a small nose and big eyes and big lips and perfectly silky hair and uh, medium tan skin tone, not too light, not too dark, and you know this blah blah blah. And so I want to I want to start. Like my cosmetics company in the Middle East, because yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where I that's where I want to be for a while, um, and eventually open it up to these other regions and to the to the West also. But basically, what I want to encourage women to do is to accept their natural look, which is again easier said than done, but embrace it with cosmetics rather than so many plastic surgeries or cosmetic procedures or anything like this and i want to stress that i'm not at all against these kinds of procedures or surgeries i mean i think for a lot of women it's it's empowering or it's um maybe it's even healing and you know everyone has a different life experience so in no way am i against these kinds of procedures but i don't want women to feel like they have to have them in order to be beautiful and in order to fit this mold of beauty um, but rather to use cosmetics to dress yourself up when, you, when whenever you want. And, uh, and yeah, so that's my goal. Um, so I'm definitely in the beginning stages of this. I'm doing a lot of research and networking and trying to figure out my first um, product or two. And hopefully in 2021, we'll be formulating and we'll see from there. But
0: yeah, that's my ultimate goal. That is beautiful. And now is in the Middle East, especially in Lebanon, are there is there anything like this there now, or are you really breaking through, um, in a, in a new area, or is it just because of the angle of really calling out the beauty of women that the mission of it might be different than what may be already over there?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's so many, so many cosmetic and beauty companies now all over the world. And so it's kind of, a saturated market, and i 'm trying to find my perfect angle to make to make it different and um I think like my favorite cosmetic company is Huda Beauty out of dubai, huh. and i'm just obsessed. I will spend all my money with huda beauty <laughs> <laughs> it's just I love her um, but a lot of these products are too expensive for women um and so like I kind of have this like this role model of Huda and Huda beauty, but but I wanna make it a little bit more accessible for women. I wanna make it a bit more of embracing your your own look for women rather than looking at Huda's Instagram and seeing all these beautiful women who likely have had nose jobs and fillers and all this stuff and again i'm not against it but i want women to see all different kinds of faces and how beautiful they are and um and someone who looks like them like someone who maybe like lives in syria and loves makeup but is tired of seeing all these perfect looking and i have my finger my air (laughs) air quotes going (laughs) for for you listeners we have air quotes going (laughs) right (laughs) Like these women who are, you know, exotically, ambiguously Middle Eastern, but like really look Western, you know? And so I want, I want every woman to see someone like, like who looks like themselves and be like, wow, that's amazing. I want to, like, I want to use those products. Right.
0: And I love that the mixture of your heart and your angle on that, because I remember, uh, I just turned 45 this past December and going into like, after I had my three kids, I was 28. And so I was like, all right, when I'm 32, I want to get a nose job to flatten my nose. I want to get a boob job to get my boobs back up where they were. I want to get a tummy tuck because my stomach's destroyed now from having babies. And it was this, that, the other. And I just realized like my motivation. And I love that you were, you were saying like some reasons um, that women want to do it is healing and it is beautiful. And it's a, it's a great, great experience. But I know that at that point in my life, I was also struggling with self-image. I was struggling with my first marriage. I was just struggling with some internal core issues that I was trying to find a solvent and a, a solution to make me feel good. And that motivation is not a good motivation, but yeah. it, so if you're doing it through um, eyes of healing, eyes of, Hey, I, I just want to feel better about myself. I think there's great ways to use um, those, those modalities, but also just like, Hey, if I can apply my eye makeup a little bit differently or have a, a shade of lipstick that goes what uh, better with my complexion mm-hmm. and just bring out beauty in simple ways. I think that's gorgeous and you're beaming when you're sharing this i'm I'm sharing this with the audience because you you can't see liz's face like she's beaming because i I can see the passion in her heart in her eyes uh about her why behind this as well
1: yeah and you know what maybe i should have shared this i think one of my biggest inspirations for or like how i came to think about this future cosmetics company is how growing up i wanted a nose job so bad i swore up and down and um like constantly I was just so aware of it and I think I maybe it was like when I was like 12 ish and I walked past the mirror and this was the first time I saw my profile and I almost barked I wanted to cry (laughs) I was like what is that giant nose I didn't know how big it was and (laughs) it was traumatizing and so you know I swear as soon as college is over blah 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 goodness and um And my sisters and I all joked about it, too. Like, we all have this Lebanese nose. Nothing else about us is Lebanese. I have (laughs) red hair. I'm white. I'm so white. (laughs) But this nose gives it away. And so not only, like, did I start to accept myself and my face on my own, but then once I started going to Jordan and Lebanon and being immersed in this culture, like these cultures... I realized like one of the only things that makes me feel Lebanese and connected to my culture is my nose. And now there's nothing you could bribe me with that would make me want to get rid of my nose. I I'm in love with it now. I love it so much. And so anytime someone over there is like, wow, like, like your last name's Hannah you're Lebanese really and like they look at me with my red hair I say I turn and I say yeah look at this nose like can't you tell and then they laugh and they're like oh yeah now I can tell like seriously
0: yes because your hair and your complexion you would look more Irish and like northern European than (laughs)
1: exactly and so I yeah so now I like this is like such a source of pride for me now and um and you wear it with honor yeah, exactly. So not everyone will have that kind of story of self acceptance, but hopefully, you know, if if you like if you wait it out a little bit, like you said, a lot of times like when you're obsessing over your your looks, other stuff is really going on. It's sure. not your looks. Right. So you yep. know waiting it out and finding your self acceptance is such a such a better way for I think for for most situations.
0: I love that you shared that story. That's just it's just a powerful story of like wearing it with the badge of honor after really like traumatized growing up through it and just I think that's a beautiful acceptance and I was telling Liz prior to uh, our recording today I had a call with two Lebanese women and and I had to cut their call early and I was jumping on and uh, they were so excited I was like I'm, I have to get off the phone with you because I'm getting on to interview a woman who's Lebanese and living in Beirut and and they were so excited they're like go 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 and I showed them your picture that I had and they're like, she's gorgeous. I'm like, and she go, they go, she doesn't look Lebanese. And then I kind of put it in Then She goes, she has the nose. That was the first thing. And like, and it was just beautiful. Like I was like, so I was like, do I share that story with you or not? But what you're saying, like you're wearing it with honor because it's such a beautiful, it's a distinguishing factor that brings you into a community of people that is who you are, and I and they said it very, very complimentary, and I just love that you brought that story because that you know your red hair and your your fair skin. They're like, she's not, and then you're like, oh, it? yeah. <laughs> and so funny,
1: and I love that you strategically didn't share that with me. I didn't, I didn't because I didn't know how that was going to hit. So I waited till you finished
0: your story. <laughs> very smart. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I wanted to ask too because with your family, with going into uh, a Middle Eastern culture, with you know hearing a lot of no's, at what point, and I, I know we touched a little bit about this earlier on, but what point do you just say, you know what, I have to give permission to myself to cut the umbilical cord, make choices, good, bad, right, wrong, the other, to really just give permission to yourself to start expressing yourself, are you still in that journey i don't feel like you're still in that journey i feel like you're beyond that journey but w- at what point did you feel like i just need to give myself permission to advocate for myself and the why behind asking that specifically is i know there's a lot of women that will be listening to this that feel like they have to ask permission of someone whether that's their parents whether it's their children whether it's their uh, significant others that they feel in order to do something they need to have permission. And can you just talk on that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. I wish there was an easy answer, but I yeah, I think it kind of stinks to have this feeling of needing permission. Um and I have felt it for a long time. And for me I think it was a slow process of kind of overcoming this feeling of needing permission. Um maybe like now that I think about it, it was probably it probably like kind of went away in stages with different people. So we probably went away with my mom first. Cause my mom and I, like, once I started college, our, our relationship turned a, more, more into friendship. And so, um, and we're so close and I will always want to respect her with my decisions and what I do. But I think maybe with my mom, it kind of started and then slowly with, um, with other family members or with people at college or professors even or, or anyone. Um, and I like I think there's still a few people in my life where I find it's difficult and I'm still working on it, but that's okay. Um, I think it's, it's not gonna happen overnight. So like, yeah, I guess you said, I think you're way beyond this. And I think in many regards I am, but not a hundred percent, I think. I think for everyone, it's a bit different. And um, like for me, I think it's harder specifically with my dad and it's, 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 it's just kind of difficult to, to, to put
0: that boundary there, but it's so necessary. Um, I think there's a fine line too, between permission and also being respectful yeah, to, to say I don't want to breach or harm relationship. I do value your perspective. Yeah, it's hard, and
1: I've seen a few like old friends of mine where they just have zero zero boundaries with their parents, and it really it only hurts them in the long run. And so I kind of I think that maybe seeing my friends go through that and seeing them like frankly not being not not having the courage maybe to put a boundary there with their mom or dad or whoever. And, and the longer they put it off, the harder it is. And so seeing that in other people, my age, I've kind of, it's helped me in a way realize like, all right, like I'm kind of doing the same thing as them. I gotta, I gotta put this boundary down here, but, but still stay respectful.
0: No, that's good because and I, you know, my family who's going to listen to this podcast as well will laugh because I did not do well with cutting a lot of those ties, even in, it, after I first got married. And so it was like, I did not miss Thanksgiving. I did not miss Easter. I did not miss Christmas. I did not miss vacation. And I never felt like the permission to like explore, like our family's very tight. And, but as 45 year old woman, I've only sat at one Thanksgiving table my entire life and you know one Christmas, you know, experience. And so for my children who are now twenty, eighteen, and sixteen, of course I want them at our table and the memories, but I also want to open our arms to say, you know what, life is much broader. The world is so much bigger, there's so much more culture and experiences that you can have. And you always will have Thanksgiving in our hearts or Christmas. And it doesn't mean that we won't miss you. Yeah. If you miss something but to really just release in a, you know, in a healthy way of like, go and explore. And we're here when you if and when you come back. Absolutely. I'm so happy you said that.
1: I think that's just like one of the most valuable things um, a mother or father can do for their kids is to is to let them go because then they'll want to come back to you and they'll want to spend time with you usually, you know, it's yeah.
0: So as our listeners are that are listen, listening in might be curious about again, the Lebanese culture, the women, you know, are are women, again, you may say, yep, it's just like America, where some women are driven and doing higher education and pursuing careers. Or is there a cultural path that's typical for women to be more of a, you know, I'm going to be a caretaker and a homemaker and a mom scenario. And then the second part of that, do you see a disparity in generations between maybe what some of the younger ones are wanting to do younger generations versus an older generation
1: yeah i'd say um i see it more generationally um i like like i can't think of a woman in lebanon that i've met who hasn't wanted to go to college or who hasn't gone to college and not that college is everything It, it absolutely is not but um, who hasn't had a drive to do something, you know, it doesn't have to be college. It could be whatever you want it to be. Um, so personally, I haven't met anyone who hasn't had their personal drive and like hard work ethic, but, um, I'm, I'm sure they exist. I'm sure they exist. (laughs) We just haven't come in proximity yet. (laughs) Um, but you know, like I have some girlfriends here who didn't want to do, who don't want to work or who don't want to go to college and they want to Take care of a family and you know get married and have kids and I think that 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 certainly exists in lebanon too um, but yeah, I think it is more generational i, I think I think the older women tend to say like, when are you getting married? I'm 22 and I'm over there and like my old neighbors are so sweet and they say, when are you getting married, Lisa? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm 22, not yet, you know? And so it's I think it's a generational thing.
0: No, and, and I love that you just hit on your age because I, anyone who will see your picture as we promote this and, and some of the video clips, you know, you are young, uh, but the amount of wisdom that is coming out of your soul and in out of your heart And the gentle perspective to frame it both ways. Like, I love that your perspective of college, but I have friends, which is okay too, or college isn't for everyone, or plastic surgery, not plastic surgery. Like, I love that your your compassion is flowing through. Um, I'm hearing it, and I hope our listeners are hearing it as well, of not pigeonholing any woman into a box of what they should, could do and and you're just wise you're young and you're wise um <laughs> i i'm loving just the the flow that's naturally coming out of your heart so i just well, want to sister,
1: say i'm an old grandma so yeah that makes sense <laughs> but <laughs> absolutely i think my pet peeve kind of the last like five years has been when people pigeonhole women in any way either to be a a, a homemaker or that you have to go out and do something and just like that just drives me up a wall like no like there is absolutely no requirements there's no standards um like my cousin always says him and his wife always say you do you and that's kind of their slogan and so my mom and I have adopted this and we say it out to each other all the time you do you you know if you don't want to come to Christmas and you want to go to Hawaii if covid wasn't here like you do you and maybe you know maybe grandpa will be mad at you but you do you who cares you know and so i think for everything like it's just as long as you're being true to yourself and you're being respectful to all to all those around you and like you to you yeah that's really good so who inspires you what do you what do you do to get yourself inspired You know what, I was thinking about this before we started recording and now I'm glad I thought about it because I have two women, one specifically actually, who I heard on a podcast. It was, I think NPR is how I built this. Um, And it was, I think her name is Vicky Tsai. I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure. And she is the founder of Tatcha, the brand Tatcha. And... I listened to that podcast episode in awe Mm -hmm. of her determination and her, just her complete rejection of the word no, (laughs) like how we talked about earlier. She, in forming this beauty brand, um, she faced more obstacles than I could ever even imagine she maxed out all of her credit cards to to fund this company she had a kid during it and you know just went went through so much if you listen to this this podcast you will just your mind will be blown <laughs> and after i heard this i became her number one fan honestly like i just was like oh my goodness if she can build tatcha this i think she sold it for like oh my gosh just hundreds of millions of dollars and like so successful if she can do this after like the 10 years she put into it of getting zero returns, like I can make my cosmetics company. I, I really, I can do anything. Cause that was so impressive. That's awesome.
0: So I'd say she's my number one role model, right? Now. That's awesome. All right. Next question. If you could travel anywhere in the world, non COVID,
1: where would you go? Greece. I want to spend a long vacation in Greece. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to go to one of those, um, one of those, I think they're like actually honeymoon sweets, but really I just want to go alone. <laughs> like one of those sweets that it's like you swim out in your own personal pool, oh, yeah. infinity pool, and like in a cave, but it's your hotel room. It looks amazing.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so next one. If you were invited to dinner and you could have anyone make you a certain type of food, what would the food be that you would want on that table? Oh my this
1: was not on the question list. No, <laughs> nope, this is spontaneous. <laughs> I okay. was I was expecting like tabbouleh or like, <laughs> <No>. like <"Why?" laughs> no. much. Um, I would say it would be some kind. Oh my gosh! You know what? It would be. It would be some kind of amazing salad, but it has to have cut up avocado on it. It has to have cut up mango on it because recently. Mm-hmm. It's- the last like semester I've been making these mango salads, which sounds weird, but it was just the best thing. And um and like some kind of grilled chicken. And I normally I'm not that healthy of an eater, but to me right now that's like
0: perfect. Oh good. I will I will I will I will get play uncle or say uncle and won't won't uh ask you any more off the topic. Yeah, but no. I I wanted just reiterate um your aspiration to really empower Lebanese women and then to take that seed in that culture, in that region, and then going into Asia and into the Mediterranean. Uh, If I know you and you're anything like the rest of the family, you're never going to hear no. You're only going to say like, not now, pivot, let's keep moving. And I cannot wait to see your line and the things that you are going to accomplish in the years to come. So In closing, do you have any remarks to just share with the women that might be listening in that says, you know, I'm just a stay-at-home mom or I'm I'm just, you know, stuck in my cubicle or I'm dealing with, you know, uh, depression or isolation or, you know, this Liz's dream just seems way too big uh, for me to even relate to. What's some words of wisdom that you might give to a listener here? First of all,
1: I would say that I feel like that 50% of the time. So really, I can come on here and say all the exciting stuff, but in reality, life is life. And so it's not as, usually it's, you know, I heard a quote actually recently, that things are not as great as they seem and it's not as bad as they seem. I've been thinking about that a lot because when you hear someone talk about their exciting things, usually things aren't as great as they sound. And then when you are going through the hardest time of your life, usually they're not as bad as they are. And so i try to keep that in mind. But um, I guess I would say, take it like chunk by chunk, day by day, what can I do today to make myself feel so amazing? And only worry about today, like, don't even give a second thought to tomorrow or whatever. And when I'm feeling really down, I even like take it hour by hour, like, what can I do this hour just to make me feel so good? And and then keep
0: keep moving along. got good. I heard someone uh, this past week, and I've not read the book, uh, so if I misquote this, I will fig- figure this out after. But it's the book "Power of Now," and the same element that stress doesn't exist in the in the now. Stress is what happened in the past, and stress is what happened, or and what you what you stress about for the future but stress doesn't exist in the now and so you're you're either worrying about something that happened before and you're stressed or you're worrying about something that's to manifest but it's not the now and so that same perspective of you know what you said is the same analogy of just focusing in this moment this hour this afternoon whether it's taking a walk, whether it's stretching, whether it's making a cup of hot tea, whether it's journaling—something to just activate uh, self-care, self-love, and to reposition your heart and soul.
1: Absolutely! Oh my gosh, I love what you just said. Absolutely. And and last note, sorry. I have I've, I hear a lot of women actually when like my mom's friends or whoever you know ladies who are in their 40s or 50s or 60s, and they say, oh, like, Lizzie, I just wish that I did something like this when I was your age. And without realizing it, like, they're in a position where they they could do it now. Like, um, I'm not with COVID, but like, if they, once COVID kind of chills out, um, if they have kids and they can afford it, take them with you on uh, on this trip that you've always thought about, or if they're grown, go by yourself. There's a huge network of solo female travelers, um, or take your significant other or, you know, just do it because I try to think like, what advice would I give my best friend, someone that I care about and love so much. And if they were telling me all the time, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this like so bad. I would always say, do it, you know, cause I want them to be happy and not have any regrets. So try to give yourself that,
0: that great advice that you would give the person you love the most. Oh, good. And I think that's a piece where we're, we're so quick to give people advice and support and love and, but we don't do it. And we shared that earlier on this episode. We don't do that self-care and self-love back, but I love that you wanted, that you said, because on our other podcast this month, there, it, there are websites and groups that are solo women travelers and, and different things that you can get involved in pending COVID and all the regulations. But whether it's a book club or a knitting club or a running club or, you know, whatever that is, there's something out there and with intentionality. And again, if you're listening to this and you don't know where to look, shoot us an email. We will help do some of the research for you and point you in the right direction for things just to activate your heart, whether it's writing, reading, playing an instrument, uh, cooking, whatever that is, but there's something out there and that community of women that can support and activate uh, just that little bit of getting out of the stagnant and, you know, getting the cobwebs off of our souls and our bodies to, you know, come alive again. So, and it's been a tough year. It's been a 12, tough 12 months and uh, we're still going. So absolutely
1: absolutely there's communities of women for every interest and every possible thing out there yeah and so it's great that you have this podcast to shed some light on a bunch of different kinds of different
0: communities too Good. Well, thank you so much to connect with me today. You are shining, you're beaming. I am in awe of the work you're doing. I knew that your story and your heart for work with women in the Middle East and beyond um, really resonated with the culture that we have within the Genesis Speaks movement and really just wanting women to feel beautiful inside and out and to have that self confidence and self-awareness and healing journey. And I'm honored that you were here today. Oh, I am so honored that you asked me to be on. Thank you so much. You're Jen. so welcome. Well, thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. Catch us next week for the next uh, episode of the Genesis Speaks podcast, where every woman has a story and every story matters. And if you shake your head and says that's not me, it is you. You matter, your story matters. And this is a movement that is empowering women to uh, let their voices be heard and to heal and grow together. So have a great day, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Speaks podcast. If you love the show, one of the best things you can do is to share it with a friend. Tell them what you like about it, how it inspires you, and invite them to listen. Subscribe to the Genesis Movement to empower women's voices and reclaim the power over your own narrative.